Hey, y'all, welcome to RUF. My name's Simon Stokes. I'm the campus minister here. And I just want to say, man, we are coming down to, like, the last three RUFs of the semester, which is crazy. Like, this is, we have this one next week, and then Thanksgiving break, and then Lessons and Carols, where we sing, like, Christmas songs, which is awesome, because it's after Thanksgiving, and you can totally do that. Um, <laughs> though I know, like, a lot of you have been listening to Christmas music at this point. And then, like, we're done. That's crazy. That's really crazy. This semester has felt like it's gone by so fast. And I hope that if you've been with us this semester, you've enjoyed getting to go through the book of Exodus and see from this book that I don't think we spent a ton of time in how rich the gospel is in the Old Testament and how clearly Christ is presented there. And that this has been a chance for you uh, to learn more about God's word, more about who Jesus is. Because that's kind of what Arif is about, is that we're people who are centered on Jesus and who all of us, whether we're Christians or not, at least need him and have come here to try to figure out more of who he is and what it's like to know him. So uh, we're going through Exodus, and I'm going to read to us tonight Exodus 28, uh, which is, (laughs) when you get into the book of Exodus towards the end, it gets into nitty-gritty stuff. And for some of us, this is either... Um, excruciating detail, or it is uh, incredible detail. But we are reading tonight about the clothes the priest wear. So if you're in a Project Runway, this may be the sermon for you. (laughs) (laughs) Exodus 28, 4 through 29. Uh, These are the garments they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priest. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and a fine twined linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones, engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment and skilled work. In the style of the ephod you shall make it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. There shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold, and you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold, and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece, and you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree and so attach it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. 
You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front of the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes in the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Amen. <laughs> You're not going to do a lot of quiet times out of that one. Let me pray for us. <laughs> Father, uh, thank you for your word and for all of it. For the way that it points us to Jesus. Um, the way that it shows us who you really and truly are. God, we pray that just as we see here uh, the work of the priest and what he wears, Lord, that tonight we would see the work of Christ and who he is and what he puts on as he approaches you for us. Um, Lord, help us to know you more because of this passage and our time together tonight. Help us to love you more because of that. And because we love you, be to love one another in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Cool. Um, C.S. Lewis was such a talented writer. Uh, probably some of you grew up with the Chronicles of Narnia. If you didn't read those growing up, at least you may have seen the movies that came out. Uh, that were not nearly as good as the books. Everyone says that, but this is super true. Uh, but he has more books than just Narnia, in case you're ever interested. And one of his better books in that is called The Screwtape Letters. And what The Screwtape Letters is, is it's Lewis imagining a series of letters that an older devil, Screwtape, writes to a younger devil, Wormwood, advising him on how to tempt their patient, who's this Christian guy, away from the enemy, which if you're a devil, is God. And in one of these letters, the senior devil, Screwtape, writes to his junior and he says this, The humans do not start from the direct perception of him, that's God, which we unhappily cannot avoid. They've never known that ghastly luminosity, that stabbing and searing glare which masks the background of permanent pain to our lives. So they don't like God. Got it. If you look in your patient's mind when he's praying, you will not find that. If you examine the object to which he's attending, God, you'll find that it's a composite object containing many quite ridiculous ingredients. I've known cases where what the patient called his God was actually located up and to the left at the corner of the bedroom ceiling, or inside his own head, or in a crucifix on the wall. But whatever the nature of the object, you must keep him praying to it, to the thing he's made, not to the person who's made him. You may even encourage him to attach great importance to the correction and improvement of his composite object and to keeping it steadily before his imagination during the whole prayer. For if he, comes, if he ever comes to make the distinction, if he ever consciously directs his prayers, not to what I think you are, but to what you know yourself to be, our situation is for the moment desperate. Do you hear the brilliance of what C.S. Lewis is talking about there? That so much of what tempts us to despair is not outside calamities, but it's inside of us. Like when you're, when you're doubting or you're wondering, you know, is this Christian life thing, like, is this worth my time? It's not some outside calamity that's usually bringing that in. What's usually the cause of that is things inside of us, especially how we think of God. I mean, C.S. Lewis's response to this is, not what I think you are, but what you know yourself to be. We get here to the end of Exodus, and God is giving us not a story, 
not a list of commandments to do, but he's given us a picture book. He's shown us a very detailed picture of what the priest wore because he wants us to know what he's actually like. And that's the beauty of this stuff here that we just read tonight. So tonight, as we look at this, I just want to ask two questions. I want to ask this. What does this passage show us about ourselves? And what does it show us about God? What does it show us about ourselves? What does it show us about God? So one, what does this show us about ourselves? The fact that there's a priesthood, for one, shows us that we need a priest, right? You and I cannot stand on our own before God. And I know that in our culture, we come from this kind of time and place where there's a sense that, you know, if there is a God, then of course he's down with who I am. Like, he likes me. I'm awesome. I'm amazing. He surely must want to hang out with me. That would be a fun time for him. Like, (laughs) biblically, that doesn't check out, though. God is holy, 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 and we are not, not, not. Right? Like, We're laced through with sin, which God, because he's good, is just in direct opposition to. And that's not to say that all of us don't have dignity and worth and value. Each one of us, every person that you've ever met, is made in the image of God. But mixed in with that is this part of us that says, you know, let's take the good part of you, the good things you know, the great stuff about your personality, and let's use those things in the world to try to get other people, and maybe God, and other things around you onto your side. And you can wage this kind of quiet PR campaign to show how awesome you are. Wouldn't that be great? Like, all of us have this part of us that is directing us to kind of coil in on ourselves and love ourselves and not love our neighbor and not love God. And that just gets mixed up with the good stuff in us and the bad stuff in us. Like, what if you're the kind of person who's just always striving to improve and aim high? Like, you're organized, you're fastidious, you're consistent with your ideals. You maintain really, really high standards when everyone else around you is just kind of slipping. Like, you're the one who's going to stand your ground. And that can be so great. If you're that person, please come and clean my office. Like, just help me. Help. (laughs) But what's the downside of that? Like, how does sin get into that? We can become so organized and so committed to high, maybe nearly perfect standards that we can find people who maybe don't reach those standards or when we don't reach those standards or those ideals, we can find those people, we can find it ourselves, and we can just critique ourselves to death and just beat ourselves up and drag ourselves through mud and do that to the other people around us. And sometimes it's vocal. A lot of times it's not. And it's a good part of your personality to want high standards and shoot for an ideal. And yet sin twists that in some terrible ways. And that's all of us. That the good things about your personality, the stronger those things are, the more likely those things become your Achilles heel and just destroy you if you're not careful because that's the nature of sin. We need a priest to represent us because even the good parts of us are just laced with that and turned in on themselves. 
So that's one thing that shows us. What's another thing? Look at verse 12 here. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, which is just a big shirt. It's a tunic. As stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. Okay, so there's these two black onyx, like semi-precious, smooth, polished stones with the names of the tribes of Israel on your shoulders. And there's stones on your chest, like emeralds, sapphires, rubies, diamonds, other things <laughs> that are semi-precious stones that we don't talk about very much. With the names of Israel on, the, on your chest as well. And it says that Aaron's going to bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart regularly. What is God's judgment of those people? Like judging by the picture that he gives us here. It's that God's people are precious. And that he loves them. And that he looks at them in the same way that you and I would look at a diamond. Or a ruby or a sapphire. With someone's name on it that you know. Like this is precious and valuable and I want it. Like that is the way that God looks at his people. Biblical religion is the only religion that separates a person's actions from their identity. That these are people that are twisted by sin. That are sinful and sinners. And yet God says they are precious. And that's not because of what they're doing. It's because of the work of this priest. That he comes into the presence of God with their names on his shoulders. Bearing them on his shoulders. With his, their names over his heart. That these are stones that were found in the book of Genesis. If you go back to the Garden of Eden. Like these stones are named there. And God is saying that you are precious to me. And I want to roll the clock back to the place and the time when it could just be you and me face to face. And we could be together. And there wasn't any of this sin. There wasn't anything that separated you from me. But we could just be together and you could know how valuable you are to me. Do you ever feel unvalued or ugly? Do you ever walk around this campus with your earbuds in because it's like, what's the point? Like, nobody here knows me. People, like, see me, but they don't really see me. Do you ever feel unvalued? Do you ever walk around feeling ugly? Like, no matter what I do, I actually don't think anyone is going to ever believe that I'm beautiful. I'm too much the wrong size or the wrong shape. Or I don't have enough muscles or a big enough chest. Like, do you feel ugly? You are a precious jewel upon the heart of God's priest. That God looks at you and desires you and counts you as valuable. That there is a priest that enters into heaven with your name on his heart and he brings you in his person before God. We live as though we know more about ourselves than anyone else. But God here is saying, I wish that you could see yourself as I see you. And so he gives us a picture of jewels on the chest of a priest over his heart. You and I can feel like we have so much to prove to ourselves and to the world. But if you're a Christian, then you're a beloved jewel 
upon the heart of God's priest. That you are valuable and beloved and desired. And you don't have to prove yourself to anyone or anything. It doesn't mean that one day you don't have to be qualified to teach or to be a lawyer or to practice medicine. But it means that none of those things are your true identity, the true kernel of who you are. That the kernel of who you are, your truest self, is a jewel in God's sight. And so you don't have to prove anything to anybody. I heard a story recently about Bill Murray, uh, the great actor, comedian. And he was in uh, Scotland at a bar, and he was talking to these Scandinavian exchange students over there, and he's, he's being Bill Murray in a bar, which means he's basically like holding court and telling jokes and being hilarious and amazing and just Bill Murray in general. And they're laughing and talking to him, and it kind of gets to be last call, and they're like, these exchange students are like, Bill. Do you want to come back to our apartment? There's a party going on. And he was like, all right. And so Bill Murray goes back and walks with these students to their apartment. And he gets there, and there's a party going on. But it's just like a B-level college party somewhere. Like, the, the booze at this point has kind of run out. There's very little food. And all the dishes are dirty. People are drinking out of, like, coffee cups and things like that. And Bill Murray just kind of makes his way through the party and goes to the back of the apartment. And he sees all these dishes and cups stacked in the sink because it's a dirty college apartment. And he rolls up his sleeves and he just starts to do dishes in the middle of this party. And, like, talking to people and telling stories. And anybody who wants to come back there and talk to Bill Murray while he's washing dishes, they can do that. And it's amazing because he ends up just washing all the dishes for this party, saying good night and leaving. And you could think to yourself, why did Bill Murray do that? Like, <laughs> why, would he, why would this actor, comedian, millionaire go to this party and he, like, wash all these dishes? The man was in Ghostbusters and Groundhog Day and the Royal Tenenbaums. He had a great cameo in Zombieland. He's amazing. He's a national treasure. Uh, Why does he have to do all this stuff? Why did he do that? Because he has nothing to prove. Like Bill Murray needs nothing from those people. He needs no, no wealth. He doesn't need their friendship or prestige or kind of social position. And so he is free not to have to prove himself at this party. He can just serve and care about the regular people at a regular college party. And that's you too. That you don't have to prove yourself. That if you are a Christian, you are God's beloved. You're adored by him. Like there's nothing you have to do to earn anything before anyone or anything that you are beautiful and valuable and God enjoys you. And that's the truest thing about who you are. So if this is what this says about who we are, what does it say about God? Think about the clothes here that are being made, like gold, jewels, fine linen, expensive dyes. All of this is handmade. It's outrageously costly. For these priests to step into these clothes means that they had to have gone through seven days of ritual purification. Like, animals got killed. They were 
and had to do all kinds of bathing. They do all kinds of prayer, all kinds of fasting. Like, their Hebrew word for consecration into the priesthood translates as filling their hands. Because they're going to have more than enough work to occupy their time. This is a job that will take up the whole of their identity. It will be incredibly costly for them to perform it. It will be the whole of who they are. What does that say about God then? That He is worth everything? He's worth all of our riches and all of our time? That the garments of this priesthood give us a picture of what it is to serve a God who is holy and precious beyond anything that we can imagine. And yet, they represent the priest in their ideal, but not in their reality. Like, these men still have to offer sacrifices. They're still fallen people like you and I. They are pictures, they're placeholders until this true, real high priest comes that doesn't need sacrifices for himself. The New Testament book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the true reality of the picture that these priests point to. And so Jesus is the one that truly wears you on his heart. He's the one that truly bears your name upon his shoulders. He knows us by name and we're precious to him. When we, for a long, long time, people have said that Jesus is like a type or a pattern in the Old Testament, which means that there's all these things that show up in the Old Testament that look like they point towards Jesus. And when we say that, we mean that those, he is like those things, that he is like a priest or he is like a king. But in reality, those things are the shadow and Jesus is the substance. That he is not like the priest. The priests are like Jesus. Which means that when Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That he says that as a priest. That all you need to have Jesus as your priest is to know that you are weary and that you are heavy laden. That's the only requirement that he makes of us. And that to do that means that you don't bear your burdens alone. That Jesus actually bears you on his shoulders into the presence of his Father in love and care. That if he is your priest, then he's made every sacrifice necessary for you to be acceptable. That he's washed you, and so you're clean. That he loves you, and so you're beloved. Not one day you'll be clean. Not one day you'll be washed. But now, today, you are clean. In him those things are yours. Have you ever considered that maybe the reason that you're here tonight is because Jesus, the great high priest of heaven, knows you by name? And he's prayed to his Father before you that you would actually be here and be with these people and sing these songs and listen to this text? Because he knows that maybe more than a Netflix break, that what you need is his word opened and his gospel preached. And to maybe know for the first time, I would be reminded that you're beloved in Him. Look, at this point in the year, I just wonder how much of us feel like we're on trial. Like you walk into a test, or you get ready to write a paper, 
Or you get ready to go home and someone like sidles up to you at the table at Thanksgiving and they're like, well, how's school? And it feels like you're on trial. Like all the things that you've done up to this point are providing evidence either for or against who you are. And that you get to perform and do something and it's either evidence for the prosecution or evidence for the defense. Find out if all of your hard work has been worth it. If you're worth it. How many of us feel like we're on trial? Think about this. A priest is a go-between whose work is to represent God to his people and his people to God. And that is especially true of Jesus. That when these priests put on their robes, they represented something to God and to the people. And when Jesus, who is the true priest, true God of true God, when he came, he put on flesh and blood. He put on something himself. He took a real human soul and a real mind to himself. He put on us and on our humanity. Every aspect of that. Have you ever been hungry or thirsty? Have you ever been lonely? Have you ever had to walk into a room and make friends? Have you ever lost someone close to you? Have you ever walked out of a room and felt betrayed by your friends? Have you ever suffered? One day will you die? Jesus puts on every aspect of our humanity so that he could go to trial for us. So that the verdict that should have been rendered to him could be rendered to you. So that the verdict that should have been rendered to you will be rendered to him. That he gets our judgment so that we can get his judgment. That if you are a Christian, then Jesus is your priest. And God accepts you based entirely on his work. And he loves you and counts you as a jewel. As someone that he knows, as someone that's valuable. That Jesus himself bears you before his Father gladly, willingly, carrying you before him. And you know what God is like because of him too. That we know what God is like, not just kind of what he's like, but really what he feels and thinks about poverty, about religious hypocrisy, about women. Because we know what Jesus is like. That he shows us who God really is. And he shows us how God cares for us and loves us. And so he bears us before the Father. Because he puts on our humanity. And he gives us the judgment that he should have received. And so I'll end with this. There's a guy named Jack Miller who is a missionary. He started a a missions agency called World Harvest Mission. It's now Surge. And he told the story of going to a seminar that he was giving at a conference. And he meets at the end of the seminar this young woman who was a Christian. And she kind of heard him for this kind of hour, hour and a half long conference talking about Jesus and the cross and all the things that guys like Jack Miller and me say to people like y'all. And she comes up to him at the end of this conference and she says, Jack, I, I think I kind of believe what you're saying. I mean, I grew up in this stuff. But I just... I just feel so distant from God. I just feel so tired and so beat down and so unworthy. 
And I just don't know what to do with that. And Jack talked to her for a while, and he said, you know what, maybe it would be best if you went and saw this counselor that's here, and she can help you talk through some of these things. And so this young woman, she goes and she meets with this counselor, and she sits and she starts to tell some of her story to this counselor, and she talks about being a little girl in her household. And she said, you know, when I was a little girl, my dad was a businessman, and he would go away on these long business trips. And while he was gone, my mom, she would wash his white button-down shirts, and she would hang them outside on the, the clothesline in our backyard. And I can remember being so little and wanting to help with that, And one day, reaching up and pulling one of those shirts down off the clothesline and putting it up on an old rusty wheelbarrow. But when I did that, the rust from the wheelbarrow got all over that clean shirt, and it ruined it. And my mom was so mad at me. And my dad was furious when he came home. And she ended her story, and the counselor looked across at her, and there's just tears coming down this young woman's face. And the counselor asked her, what do you think Jesus would have done with that shirt that you ruined? And the woman said, I don't, I don't know what he would have done. I don't know. And the counselor looked at her and said he would have worn it. He would have worn the shirt. You have a God that puts you on and carries you on his heart and on his shoulders before the God of the universe and loves you and wears you proudly because you're beloved. God loves you and holds you as his own. And that's the beauty of this stuff, that God shows us what he's really like in a picture Because we're people who need pictures to see them. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your work and your word. Lord, that you show us what you're really and truly like through our great high priest, Jesus. Lord, help us to know him. Help us to believe how beloved and valuable we are. God, that you count us as precious jewels. You carry us before yourself. You adore us. You desire us. Lord, in spite of all of our sin, help us to know that we're carried by Jesus on the cross in his person and in heaven now. Lord, help us to believe your gospel, to rest in it, and to trust him with all of our heart and soul. In his name we pray. Amen.